it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it's Wednesday, and Wednesdays, of course, mean Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable talking about local, state, and uh, national news and politics and current events with uh, our roundtable regulars. And uh, they are, of course, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, and uh, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter, who join us each and every week and uh, are joined by different people. We have a a special guest sitting in today in the third chair. Um, And uh, if he he has a good time, and I I hope that he does, uh, maybe he'll be back some more. He's been a frequent contributor to the show. He's a former White House staffer who served in high-ranking positions with the IRS and INS under two different presidents, Mark Everson. I'm sure uh, regular listeners have heard him. Anyway, he'll be joining the Roundtable regulars uh, with us uh, on today's edition of Armchair Politics. That begins in just about an hour or so and uh, goes for a couple hours. It's uh, well worth a listen, and there's certainly lots going on. So we'll be talking about all of the uh, local, state, and national news and politics and current events, plus a few quotes and, and of course, our coveted X-Files. But we start out this hour... um, yeah, I usually try and make it sort of tied, you know, in some way to armchair politics, something, you know, political-related. Uh, um, but but a very different and very fun and interesting uh, conversation is coming up in just a, a minute or so with an award-winning audiobook narrator named Scott Brick. And you may not you may not know that name, but he um, 
He narrated uh, some of the best-selling audio books like Dune, The Born Identity, and Moneyball, Hunt for Red October. Anyway, he's been uh, narrating the uh, Orphan X series, which is a New York Times best-selling series by Greg Hurwitz. He and Greg Hurwitz have become uh, very good friends. The newest book is called Prodigal Son, and we'll be talking about that and uh, and more. We'll be talking about other other authors, other uh, voiceover artists, and, uh, and, and we'll even discover that Greg Hurwitz and Scott Brick have been to Comic-Con together in San Diego. I think San Diego. In any event, uh, Scott Brick coming up in, uh, in just a moment or so, and that will be followed by Armchair Politics, as we do each and every Wednesday. Um, and for some reason, I can't believe it's Wednesday already this week. The, the week is, is going by very quickly, considering we're almost uh, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the one-year anniversary of um, shows being done from the bunker here at, at my place, just down the hall from the living room. So uh, anyway, we continue on. We'll, uh, we'll move right on to uh, Scott Brick coming straight up. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is an award-winning audiobook narrator who has uh, voiced books like Done, The Born Identity, and Moneyball, and uh, most recently, Prodigal Son, an Orphan X novel, which is the sixth book in the New York Times bestselling Orphan X series by Greg Hurwitz. Uh, my guest's name is uh, Scott Brick. He joins me by phone. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Tom, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Um, I'm fascinated by audiobooks. I always think that I'm going to become an addict, but I, I would <laughs> probably only, I would listen in the car during long drives, but I'm not doing long drives anymore. Um, of course. But let me ask you this. You've done a lot of audiobooks. Is the success of an audiobook tied to the success of the print version? Quite often, yes. Um, uh, and let me just say, anytime somebody becomes an audiobook addict, my feeling is, well, my work here is done. <laughs> um, you know, you know, they... Addicts help me help me uh, uh, pay my mortgage. Um, yes, quite often the uh, the success of the audiobook will um, there's a, a correlation to you know how well the title is uh, is selling overall in uh, in print and you know the EPUB versions. Um, yeah, it's um, I'll tell you it's a, it's a it's a fun way to fun way to make a living. Is it um, when you have books like um dune and the born identity they become big mm -hmm. movies at the same time um do you watch those movies and and wonder if maybe you might have done something a little different with the narration of the story from the book form? well uh, you know it's different because um um quite often i'm recording the book you know before the movie comes out but sometimes sure. i do it afterward um, and there are certain certain things that I will put in the recording 
based on the film. For instance, the the Dune series that you just spoke about, the uh, the famous version of the, of the film, even though Dune is supposed to be released later this year, the new version, um, the David Lynch version had Jose Ferrer as the emperor. And uh, he's always been one of my favorite actors. And so every single time I've done the Dune book and I get to play that part, I'm just doing my best Jose Ferrer impression. And, um, you know, every now and again, you know, I even I even put it when I did uh, The Hunt for Red October. It was really difficult not doing the, the main character, the, uh, the the Russian defector. <laughs> with a Scottish accent, like uh, like Sean Connery, you know. Um, can can you can can anybody avoid doing Sean Connery when there's? <laughs> oh my god! Oh god! It was uh, that it was it was really fun, but you know because the thing is, is you 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 run into um, expectation, you know, when a book is so well known as a as a film. Um, I did uh, years ago. I did The Graduate. And when you get to the end, you can't very well not scream the line, Elaine, 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 you know, as he's <laughs> disrupting the wedding. You you kind of have to nod to people's expectations. So every now and again, I'll throw in something like that. And it's like Stella. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, did, do you think of yourself, Scott, as an actor? Oh, of course, yes. Um I, I went to uh, the UCLA um, Department of Theater and um, had, had been working on stage and screen for, you know, probably about 10 years before I got my first audio book. Um, I don't know that many narrators who get into the business simply because they've got a good voice. Um, what I always tell my students, I, I actually am back teaching at UCLA now. They asked me to come back and teach audiobook narration. To, uh, to the theater department. And what I always tell people is your voice will never book you a job, not once. Uh, and I think any professional voice actor will tell you that. The only thing that will book you the job is knowing what to do with your voice, knowing how to tell a story. And I don't know that many uh, voice actors who weren't stage and screen actors originally. So, um, I mean, you can. Certainly you can do it without having that kind of background, but um, that kind of background always helps. How, how is book narration um, for audiobooks different than, uh, say, uh, a, a theater reading? You know, it's, I would say it's, um, you have to embrace the subtlety of it, uh, the nuance. Um, Let's say you're on stage, right? And you know you're doing a you're doing a play, you're doing a musical. You have to reach the back row. You have to be big enough that you can reach right. the back row of the house, whether it's 20 feet away if it's in a small place, or 200 feet away if it's in a you know uh, a Broadway stage, or 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 you know even deeper than that. Uh, if you're doing on camera work, you have to reach six feet away. Um, six feet away, you know, where the camera is is. Uh, is, is stationed looking at you. But when you're doing an audiobook, you don't even need, need to go six inches, right? It's basically between your mouth and, you know, the, uh, 
between your mouth and the microphone is the listener's ear. People are listening with literally with earbuds, putting you know, right yeah. on their eardrums. So I can be far more subtle when I'm doing um, an audiobook than if I was going to be on stage. And frankly, when I'm doing the Orphan X series, um, it's really, it's a wonderful excuse to be as quiet as I possibly can because there's um, Greg Hurwitz. He, he, he writes this really wonderful third person narration, right? Where he's talking about Evan, Evan is doing this, Evan is doing that, but it's, it feels as though it's first person. And, you know, quite often, you know, there's, there's a, there's a theme in, in uh, the Orphan X books. Um, he's Pinocchio. He's trying to be a real boy. He's a, he's a guy who, who, you know, the humanity in him was basically drummed out of him in order so he could become this high octane warrior operative. And now that he's ostensibly retired, he wants to get his humanity back. And so he's constantly trying to pass as normal. And so, you know, his thoughts are, are, are quite often tactical. You know, uh, Ida Rosenbaum gets on the elevator as he's heading up to his penthouse apartment, you know, and she's, she's, rattling on about the HOA meeting and are you going to be at the HOA meeting? And he's thinking, I'm pretty sure a response would be appropriate here, but he's also trying to hide the fact that he's bleeding and he doesn't want her to become alarmed. Right. He just got back from a mission quite often. What's going on in his head is act normal, find a way, find a way to get through this moment. And so I get to lean in to the microphone. I get really, really close and as quiet as I can, um, it, because uh, the closer you get to the microphone, it kind of creates what I call it the proximity effect. It feels as though somebody is right next to you whispering in your ear. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tool that I use when I, when I work on this series in particular. Um, a lot of fun. When you're, when you're doing the, um, the narration, um, are you also doing all of the dialogue, or are there multiple characters uh for for uh, this series well, audiobooks are done in in primarily by just a single narrative so one person will record everything and that's narrative and dialogue all of the characters you're playing men you're playing women you're playing a lot of people who are nothing like you um and every now and again a book will be done uh differently Greg years ago did a book um, on blank at the survivor. I want to say is the name and it was primarily from a woman's point of view, but about 40% of the book was from um, the point of view of the killer who was stalking her. So they hired me to do those chapters and then they hired a, a, a woman to do the chapters that were written from her point of view. And that's become a very popular way of, of doing audiobooks these days, especially in romance. Um, and every now and again, very rarely, but every now and again, you know, we just did a production of Macbeth where, you know, they hired a different actor to play each role, um, which is wonderful. But for the most part, I would say easily 90% of the work that I do, it's me reading everything from go to woe, from the, the men and the women. More with award-winning audiobook narrator Scott Brick 
straight ahead. I know out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com.
Tom Sumner Program.com. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with award-winning audiobook narrator Scott Brick, straight ahead. I, I've seen people recording um, radio dramas and, and comedies and things um, where one of the characters might have, one of the actors might have to play multiple characters. And, mm-hmm. and it always fascinates me that they're, they're able to do different voices to indicate who they're t- talking as at, at that particular moment. And it, it's especially fascinating when they're having a conversation with themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, how do you how do you manage? Do you do you change your voice for different characters, or just indicate that now so and so is speaking? You know, it's um, it's a, it's a subtle thing. Uh, I the way that I approach it anyway. Uh, there are people, people like Jim Dale who did the Harry Potter books here in America. Um, he's a master at character voices, right? Voices that you would typically hear on Saturday morning animation or, you know, in a Pixar yeah. film, you know, what, what have you. Um, that's not me. That's not my wheelhouse. I tend to, to operate a lot more with a lot more subtlety. Um, and there's no real rule, I guess. Um, in audiobooks, there's no rules. There are only notions. And uh, uh, everybody gets to choose their own way. My own way is I err on the side of subtlety. And so what I'll do is there are there are six things that we can do to our voice um, uh, in order to you know we can change we can change the pitch we can we can constrict it we can um, my friend Pat Pat Fraley he played uh, Krang in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles he's turned voiceover <laughs> into in, uh, a, in actual curriculum and he's extraordinary about all of these different characteristics that you can do to the voice we can make it we can make our 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 voice sound a little breathier we can make it sound really dense you know we, and when we're you know if i'm constricting my way i can do something like this right you know get it get it right. really i can make it i make it kind of dusty right but i also can use pitch and if i do too much of those things constrict too much um if i change my voice too much it really is going to sound inauthentic to the listener so what i do is especially when i'm playing pardon me if i'm playing a scene between a man and a woman i rely on a on a um (laughs) on a cliche essentially um in general women tend to be more inquisitive than men are they ask a lot more questions Men tend to be a lot more declarative than women are, right? They just say the way it is. Yeah. So what I do is I think about how do I sell that with pitch? Well, we know from listening to kids, you know, you, uh, the, the, the caricature of a, of, of, of a young person, like um, I'm going to the mall and going right, to get some right. food. And it sounds like it sounds like they're asking a question. They're really not. It's just pitched up at the end. When you declare, you pitch down. So what I'll do is if I have a scene between a man and a woman, <clears throat> I might make my breath, you know, I, I might let a little air run through the voice for the woman, make it a little bit softer, just a little bit like I'm doing right now. And then I'll say, you know, why won't you talk to me? 
I don't feel like talking. You never tell me how you feel. I feel like not talking. Gotcha. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm using pitch, you know, in those circumstances, and just a little bit of breathiness. And frankly, the only thing that you really need to do is make sure that the listener knows who's speaking at all times. And if I just do that, and, and then anything else you want to do, you can put on top of that. But for me, I, I, tend, to, I tend to go with, with that. As long as they know who's, who's speaking, then, okay, I've done my job. And when you're working that much with your voice, how long can you, how long can you record before, you know, the voice starts to, to weaken on you? <clears throat> to be honest, it, um, a lot of it depends on how much water I have. Um, you know, uh, um, any chiropractor will tell you uh, muscles fail without water. And uh, the, uh, the larynx is a muscle. So uh, I drink a ton of water before I go into the booth in the morning. I typically, I try to not to work more than uh, six to eight hours. Um, it usually takes you about two hours to make one finished hour of audio. Um, so in a six to eight hour day, depending on how many breaks you're taking, you know, a six hour day, six hours in the booth will net you about three finished hours. And that's what I, that's what I typically aim for. And even if my voice holds up, I try not to do more than those three hours because, um, you, you just start, you know, you lose your concentration and, you know, I, um, I need to be fresh as I'm doing this. I need to be paying attention. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a typical day for me. And for the uh, the Orphan X series, um, uh, about how long do those run? Um, how long is the audio for one of those books? Um, the average the average novel these days is eleven hours long, okay. and um, the Orphan X series. I got to be honest; I haven't checked the running time, but they might run twelve or thirteen hours. Um, uh, maybe just slightly longer than the average, but um, I tell you what, they're a thrill a minute. They are. <laughs> I, I love working on this series so much because it always surprises me. I never see the end coming. And you know, when you're a book fan, right? You you, you always want to guess. Okay, it's a who done it. I think I know who done it. I'm pretty sure I know who done it. And when you find <laughs> right. out that you know, I mean, when you guess right, you're all excited. I have never once been able to figure out to guess the end of an orphan X book. Well, and, and I, did I, I read somewhere that you and Greg Hurwitz are friends? Yes, we are. He's the author uh, of the, uh, orphan yes. X series. Um, how did you become friends? Well, I was hired to do, um, the very first book of his that I ever recorded was called the crime writer. And it was set in the, the, the Hollywood Hills. And I live in the Hollywood Hills. And it was really funny because they flew me to New York to record the book. Um, and I, I got in touch. I got in touch with him. I want to say, I don't remember if the publisher put us in touch or if I just reached out to him on his website. But I told him that I appreciated the fact that Los Angeles in his novels is almost a character itself. Uh, in m much the same way that it was for Raymond Chandler in the, sure. in the Philip Marlowe novels. And I told him just how much I really appreciated his treatment of the city because I'm a, I'm a native, you know, born and raised here. And, um, 
And he got back in touch and said, I really appreciate it. And he told me, he goes, well, I, I live in the Hollywood Hills. So, you know, how could I? Yeah. Writers, you know, they write oh, what they funny. know. And uh, we wound up, um, um, we were both attending Comic-Con that year in San Diego. Um, and uh, we just said, hey, it's made up for a drink. And um, so that was the start of it. And yeah, I tell you, he uh, and he still surprises you. He still does. He still does. <laughs> That's and, great. And he, what, what really blows me away, what absolutely blows me away, is he he just gets it. He gets what audio can do. Some authors don't even think about audiobooks, and that's fine. Well, some are um, very visual, and sure, yeah, absolutely. But he, in the novel, in the series, um, the character of Orphan X has a um, has a uh, a toll free number that when when he helps somebody, he says, "My only payment is that you have to find somebody as desperate as yourself, somebody who needs help." And you give them my number. And the number is, you know, he, he I think it's, uh, um, oh, God, I'm going to blank. I think it's 855-2-NOWHERE. Uh, and um, anyway, it's in the series. And it's, it's stated in almost every single, you know, uh, volume of, of the series. Well, Greg went out and bought that phone number. Really? And. Yeah, and he, uh, um, Evan always, the, the Orphan X, he always answers the phone the same way. Every time that, the only time that phone rings is if somebody is in dire need. And so when it rings, he always picks it up and says, do you need my help? And so he came over one time, he calls me up and he goes, hey, uh, I need a favor. Can I come over? I'm like, sure. He comes over, we go down here to my studio. <laughs> he gives me these three lines to say. And, uh, and it's, do you need my help? You know, and it's it, now, if you call that number, you, you will hear my voice and, you know, like some sound effects and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just clever. And I remember thinking, you know, he's clearly like in that upper 5% of authors, 95% of people would never think to do that, but he's so forward thinking that of course he did. That has he ever gone on beyond uh, the the phone call to actually lend some help? Well, I you know that's an excellent question. Uh, I would have to leave that <laughs> leave that up to him to ask. Um, I don't think if if he has, I, I imagine the help wouldn't be quite as deadly as it would be if Evan was actually the one doing it. Because <laughs> I thought um, I, th I thought I read somewhere that that happened occasionally to um, Arthur Conan Doyle that people would contact him with with Sherlock Holmes type problems and right. he actually went out and tried to help a couple times I, I read that uh -huh. somewhere I don't know how true that is but it's um, but but it made me curious when you said he actually installed the well it's true the there's there's always been a, a bit of a disconnect people can't always separate the the actor or the writer from the work. I mean, uh, George Reeves, who played Superman back in the 50s, um, he was doing a public appearance in costume, and a kid pulled a gun on him because he wanted to see the bullets bounce off his chest. He wanted to see the chest. bullets bounce off. Well, I, you know, and it always troubled me a little bit when, 
you know, somebody would unload a gun at Superman and all the bullets would bounce off his chest so they'd throw the gun at him and he'd duck. (laughs) (laughs) If you go to Comic-Con, you see those things. I know you do. Of course, of course. Um, And and speaking of going to Comic-Con, is... Are you fascinated by everything to do with with voice work? Oh, I ab- absolutely am. I I um I'm really blessed. I have a number of uh, very dear friends of mine who work in the industry, and they do things that that I just couldn't imagine myself doing. That I I years ago, um, Bob Bergen. I met him, and he's legendary. Bob Bergen is the voice of Porky Pig. And we had, at the time, we had the same agent. And um, she introduced us at an industry function. And he said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. I could never do what you do. And I thought, there's no way I could do what you do. I mean, come on, seriously, Porky Pig? That's just, that's not my, that's not my skill set. But it's true. There are so <laughs> many different funny. types of voiceover, and you know, yeah, not everybody has the has the uh, the stamina to sit in the booth for eight hours virtually alone and um, and read aloud for so many hours. So, yeah, I I'm always fascinated when I meet guys who do something different than me. Uh, the people who do video games, the people who do e-learning. You know, my friend Joe Joseph Riano. He's the he's the voice that for many years was you know tonight on the Simpsons, you know oh, he's a yeah. guy, yeah. And I just I just marvel when I get to when I get to watch them do what they do. I'm absolutely utterly fascinated by it. Well, it's fu- it's funny when you, s- you talk about uh, you know people saying I can't do what you do. It reminded me of a, a story mm-hmm. David Baldacci told me about meeting Barack Obama at a bookstore in Washington. And oh, wow. uh, the the manager of the store was giving the president a tour, and he walked up to David Baldacci, who was there for a public appearance, as as a you know obviously as a best selling author, and he introduces uh, him to the president, and the president turns and looks at him and says, "Oh wow, you're famous." <laughs> and he said that was so surreal, you know, you're standing there looking at Barack Obama and he's calling you famous. Anyway. It, it's it's very it's it's so interesting to, to see life from somebody else's perspective. I remember years ago I was I was reading an article, um, it was an interview with Stephen King, and Stephen King is one of my literary heroes, and he started talking about me. Oh really? And all I think how cool I was is like, that? wait a minute. I've been reading his work since the seventies. And he knows my name? That's insane. You know, but it's just yeah, it's kinda nutty, but I, I, I love I love hearing stories like that. And I could absolutely see the president saying that. Oh, you're famous. Oh, I love that. It, it, it was uh, and you could you could actually hear in David's voice his face turning red. You know, I mean, he was still a little embarrassed by the whole encounter. Yeah. It was it was kind of funny. Um, David is a lo- a lovely man. I've gotten to do a number of his books. He and his wife both. Uh, they're very very generous people. Oh uh, um, yeah, yeah. The Wish You yeah. Well Foundation and yeah, all of yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he's he's been a guest on my show many times. Um, 
and you mentioned Stephen King, and and unfortunately, I've never had him as a guest on my show, but I did hear an interview with him once, and and my favorite quote from an author of all time, uh, the, the interviewer asked him if he wrote to a schedule or to the muse, and he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him years ago on the on the late night talk show. I want to say it was Stephen Colbert, although I, I can't remember for certain. And Colbert was saying, "Hey, you've been doing this for such a long time." He said, "You were you were judged very harshly by critics when you debuted. They seemed to be judging the genre rather than the work. And yet you've had the last laugh. You've you know wildly successful. Usually, you know the most successful writer of the last fifty years." And how does that feel now? And, he said, and Stephen King said, well, I, I take great comfort in the fact that all those critics who said those things about me are dead now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And, and here's something you, you might appreciate. Um, do you know who Debbie Maycomber is? Yes. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my, I, I was on a panel with her two years ago in Seattle and uh, my girlfriend, um, uh, Suzanne Freeman, she's a narrator as well, and she has narrated some of uh, some of some of her books. Well, one of her uh, Christmas novels. She's had so many books that I asked her once who she thought had more books out, her or Stephen King, and she said, "I think I have more titles, but I think Stephen's written more words." Ah, uh, sure. And I thought, who does yeah. the math on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, look, he would probably win just from the stand alone. The yeah, stand right. or it. I mean, my gosh, they're you know eight, nine hundred pages each. So um, yeah, no, I think I, that's probably very accurate. Anyway, I, th- I thought it was a great comeback. Um, yeah, totally. Do you have favorite authors? aside from the ones whose books you read professionally? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, you mentioned um, Stephen King, but... Absolutely. Um, No, look, like like everybody else, I am a book fan. So um, what I'm really blessed to be able to say, though, is that um, I've been able to narrate a number of my favorite books of all time by a number of my favorite authors. I mean, I got to do Jurassic Park. I got to do Hunt for Red October. Um, sometimes I'll go out and I'll buy the rights myself. The, um, there was a wonderful fantasy series called uh, The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, The Unbeliever, by Stephen R. Donaldson. And nobody had done them on audio. And so I went to the publisher and I said, do you mind? I'll, I'll do them. They said, sure. So I, uh, I bought the rights. Um, I recorded it here in my studio. We put them out. And, um, so yeah, I have my, I have my favorites as a book fan, but quite often it winds up becoming something that I, um, that I get to work on professionally. And and this is something you do all the time. Do you you miss being in front of an audience? You know, I do. Um, I thought about it just the other night. It's been over 10 years since I've been on stage. Um, and I definitely miss it. Uh, it's it's difficult though, because um, well, let's say you're playing a role like like Cyrano, right? It's a three and a half hour show, 
and you're on stage 90% of the time, and quite often you're yelling. Um, and doing that, and then waking up the following morning and going into a, a, a recording studio and not having your vocal cords shredded, you know, it's a, it's, it's a difficult rebound <laughs> to be able to, if I was going to, if I was going to do both. So, um, so I haven't pursued stage in quite a few years, but, uh, but I definitely miss it. Um, how long bef between the time that you record an audio book like this, uh, this recent one, um, Prodigal Son, and the time I'm sorry. that it, how long between the time you record it and the time that it's out and available? Um, it depends. Uh, I do a lot of work directly with authors now, um, and um, <clears throat> if they're self-published, I can get them the audio and it can go up for sale the next day. Um, but typically when you're working through a publisher, um, Macmillan in this case, with the Orphan X series, um, I want to say I recorded this about 10 weeks ago. And it, it, comes, out, uh, it comes out today. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was 10, about 10 weeks ago that we did it. And, you know, that's, uh, they, they typically try to start the audio process about three months before it comes out um, so that there's time uh, built into the schedule to do the editing, to do the mastering, and, of course, all the advertising and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, typically about three months. Do people that listen to audiobooks now, are, are they... Are they getting the books on CD, or is it all mostly downloaded now? It is almost exclusively downloaded. I, uh, matter of fact, I, I, I did. Um, we are re-recording the Philip Marlowe books by Raymond Chandler, and there's an author that uh, who said Chandler was his was his favorite. Um, uh, Paul Kemperkos is his name. He used to work with Claude Kessler, and um, I told Paul we were on a at an event together, uh, an online event recently, uh, to honor Clive. And I said, um, I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy. And so I went to the publisher and I said, when it comes out, when the big sleep comes out, can you make sure to send me an extra hard copy? And they said, hard copy. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to be uh, available for download. Um, more with award-winning audiobook narrator Scott Brick. Straight ahead. Maybe 
this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with award-winning audiobook narrator Scott Brick, straight ahead. I did a book, I produced a book recently, uh, The Making of Casablanca. It's one of the best making of books you'll ever read. It was originally called Round Up the Usual Suspects. Um, it was written in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, we just produced it. And I actually, they sent me a hard copy. I'm like, really? That's still a thing? I love that. But uh, they're becoming few and far between. I, I had the, the great privilege of um, sitting a friend of mine down who'd been in show business all his life and had never seen Casablanca. Mm. And I, I I had the great privilege. I mean, we had popcorn and our favorite beverages, and we sat down and watched Casablanca. And all through the movie, he goes, I know this line. Yeah. I know this line. Yeah. Because it's been, you know, done and redone and satirized and characterized so many times. Um, I, I was with an author recently, in, uh, I guess a year ago before everything shut down. Uh, I was in New York. And I was visiting with the, um, the food author. Um, he he, uh, he wrote a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat. His name is Michael Moss. Lovely man. Uh, matter of fact, I'm, right now I'm recording uh, his follow-up called Hooked. And, and we, as I was leaving, his son came downstairs. And, uh, and he said that he was going to spend the next two nights. He was going to watch The Maltese Falcon that night. And then the following night, he was going to watch Casablanca. And he's probably 16, 17 years old. Oh, that's wonderful. And I just, I just smiled and I said, I envy you. I envy you getting to see these films for the first time. So I, I, know, really right? want to, I really want you to tell me how, how you enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's great. I, I, yeah. I um, you know, forever was collecting uh, movies on videotape, and back in the days when sure. Ted Turner was uh, colorizing everything, I had color versions of Casablanca and uh, Maltese Falcon, and I got rid of them and went back to mm -hmm. keeping the black and white. They just they just didn't play the same yeah. way. Yeah, it's true. It's just not the same. Is there a, a different tone? between a modern thriller and a classic like like Chandler I think there is yeah there's um I think uh, um, well certainly the the um, the feel uh, of, a, of a modern day thriller you can tell um, I've done thrillers from you know the 1930s through the 70s through modern day and and there's a totally different feel to let's say the um, um, the Chandler, you know, Philip Marlowe novels. Um, then into the seventies with the Bourne series, uh, which I did. And then, you know, moving into modern day with, with, uh, with the Orphan X series. Um, it, I mean, it'd be tempting, it, it'd be tempting Scott <laughs> to say, you know, suspense is suspense, but now the, the atmosphere no, is important. It, it is. And I, I remember there's a, um, a really wonderful uh, short story, a Philip Marlowe short story called Red Wind. And in it, Philip Marlowe's at a bar and guy down the guy sitting next to him is, is just too drunk. And the bartender is thinking about cutting him off. And finally, uh, 
Milo says, ah, what the hell? Give him, give him another shot of rye. It's not my liver. And, uh, and the guy, the guy pours him a drink, but he comes back and he's angry that he did it. And he said something along the lines of, he says, in the first place, I don't like drunks. And in the second place, I don't like drunks getting drunk in my place. And in the third place, I didn't like him in the first place. <laughs> and oh, I, just, I remember thinking you would never find that now. You would never hear that now in a, uh, in a modern day thriller, not yeah, a modern day true. anything. Um, yeah, there's just this, 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 you know, this, they had a way of speaking back then that was just, uh, it was unique. You know, Scott, I'm I'm having uh, so much fun telling stories with you. I feel like we've uh, <laughs> we've actually done Greg a little bit of a disservice by not talking more about Prodigal Son. <laughs> well, I, I I will tell you something. Uh, working on Prodigal Son was marvelous. Uh, as I said before, Greg's work, the Orphan X books, always surprised me, but this one surprised me even more profoundly. Uh, he he takes a look in this in this volume in particular at what it is that makes family. Is it just the people that you share blood with, or or is family the, those who you you choose to have in your life? Mm. And Evan deals with both in this book. And my own family is extremely complicated. Um, um, so many marriages and so many half brothers and half sisters and siblings all around the country that I, I haven't seen in 30 years. And, and this really, um, it, it, yeah, it showed me things about myself as well. And I think all the best books can do that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they inform you about not just the story being told, but they, they give you an insight into your own self as well. Well, I unfortunately we've, we've gone a little bit over the time I had planned, but I'm having so much fun talking with you, Scott. We, I, I have a well, that's my... we we could sit all afternoon and tell stories about uh, yes, indeed books and <laughs> authors and voiceovers. We didn't even mention Mel Blanc. Um, oh gosh! But yeah. um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website, Scott? I appreciate that. Yes, um, I'm. Uh, I've got. Um, um, you can either go to scottbrick.net or you can go to brickbybrickaudiobooks.com, and um, there'll be tons of information. Whatever, whatever you want to know, you'll find there. Well, Scott, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I, it's been an honor oh. and a privilege to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. And for me as well, Tom. I'm really, as I said earlier, I'm grateful. It's, it's nice to be here. It's great to, uh, great to meet you. Great to talk to you. All right. Take care. Best of luck. Take care. You too. Bye bye. That was Scott Brick. He is the award-winning audiobook narrator who voices the Orphan X audiobooks, including the new one, Prodigal Son. And uh, he's also narrated, as, as he mentioned, several uh, best-selling audiobook series, books like Dune and The Born Identity, Hunt for Red October, and much, much more. Anyway, we got to take a break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program. <laughs> Wash my hands 
don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church Should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. That is the rule. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors because I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be death of me the death of me you know they say this is war but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill and we just lay here on the couch and watch TV Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup I know I'm talking out of my head saying crazy stuff over and over like Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized <laughs> as soon as I regained consciousness. TomSumnerProgram.com Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.